Magazines and Monsters, Episode 9, The Brave and the Bold, number 149. Man, you come right out of a comic book. Hey everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange here, uh, back with another recording and another comic book recording, this time not a film, and one of the people I definitely reached out to right away when I started my own podcast and wanted to talk comics was another podcaster and a guy that I've listened to many, many times as a guest and then also on his own shows as well, uh, specifically on the Pulp to Pixel podcast network is Sean Ross. How are you, Sean? Hey, I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for having me. I, you know, I, I feel the same way. I have had the the uh, honor of recording with your podcasting partner, Herman, but we haven't had a chance to really talk before, and I'm I'm super excited about that. And I was super excited when you reached out because it's you know we it's one of those those for 21st century you know moments where you're like, oh yeah, I totally know. We we've, we've talked on Twitter a million times, and and then it's like, <laughs> oh god, we've never actually recorded together. So I'm I'm super excited, and I'm I'm thrilled that we're talking about. One of my favorite teams today. Yes, um, we're definitely going to be talking about the Brave and the Bold. One of my favorite DC titles. You know, you and I had talked off mic for a bit. How, you know, I'm more of a DC noob uh, compared to a lot of people I talk to that have been reading DC in general for many, many years. And I don't know what it is, but Brave and the Bold, out of all the things I've read, came became one of my favorite uh, titles right off the bat. Uh, it probably has to do with the creative team, but uh, how did you uh, get uh, attached to Brave and the Bold? So for me, I actually came to it a little bit later in my collecting career because the you know around I think it's issue two hundred of Brave and the Bold it changes over you know it ends and it becomes Batman and the Outsiders, and I was in on Batman and the Outsiders relatively early. I loved that book. I bought it off the spinner racks, and that was you know one of my first exposures to the great Jim Aparo. Love his art. He is my definitive Batman artist to this day. And so I was reading, you know, Batman and the Outsiders, and I would read the letters pages, and people were like, oh, you know, I was upset when Brave and the Bold ended, but I'm so happy that this book is here. And I'm like, wait, what is this Brave and the Bold book? Because, you know, I was a little, little kid, and I was buying from 7-Elevens and, you know, convenience stores. So I, there were no back issues. There was no you know, comic book store anywhere near me. So I, I knew I'd heard of the title, but I didn't really know what it was. And then when I got to my first comic book store, you know, about probably four years later, still very, very young, but I, we had moved to Phoenix. We'd moved to this much bigger city and there was a couple comic book stores in biking distance. And I would go and I would just, I mean, it, it's, it's like being the, you know, the Veruca salt in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, <laughs> right? Like you're like looking around, like you don't even know what to grab first. You don't even know what to look at first. It's all just this, this land of wonders. And I remember think being overwhelmed as a little kid, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I don't know what to even look at. And then I remembered the title. I saw the the long boxes and, you know, they had the things sticking out with the titles on them. And I saw Brave and the Bold and I went, oh, that's what Batman and the Outsiders was before. And I went through and because it was a team up book, you know, and, and especially at the time, I mean, this was like the mid 80s, you know, it wasn't a book that necessarily had retained a lot of value or anything. So I could get these comics for like a quarter, right? Like these were quarter mm. bin comics and I didn't need to worry about one issue to the next because they were one-offs and you know that that was the whole point of this book was to introduce people to the the poo-poo platter of the dc universe <laughs> and and so i would just grab any issue i could and it's how i found out about a ton of characters and it reinforced my love of jim aparo and it was the first time i encountered a name that would shape a lot of my love of comics uh mr bob haney 
And it was the, you know, one of the, the first times I really looked and saw, oh, this, I like this guy's stories. They're weird. Not even understanding the full scope <laughs> of, of the, the career of Bob Haney. So, so I love this book. It's, it was one of my first discount bin loves, one of my first bin dive loves when I was very young. And I still have a, an awesome, and I am, you know, this is weird because I'm a comic book collector, so I'm something of a completist, but this is one of those books where I don't care about completing it. I just, whenever I see an issue I don't have, especially if it's like a discount bin, I grab it and I, I don't have any sort of great drive to own, you know, 100 to 200 or anything like that, where I would with something like X-Men or Dr. Strange. But I just, anytime I find it, I buy it. And especially if it's Jim Aparo and it's just a fun comic book, you know, you're going to get a great done in one story and you're going to, you know, have a good time. And that's, that's all I need. It's, it's just a fun, my buddy, Greg Arujo calls them Sunday afternoon comics. And that's exactly what it's like. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're not wrong there. These, like you said, it's some of them, you know, they might not be super deep with the plots and, you know, any kind of a point they're trying to make other than just, here's a comic book story. Sometimes it's a little crazy. Sometimes it's just a, you know, regular superhero story, but you get them reading them and they're always fun. And yeah, I'm a, I'm right there with you at Jim Apparel, my favorite DC artist. You know, mm -hmm. I know he's not a lot of people's favorite DC artists, he, but he's, he's to me, he's so good. He's very moody, very atmospheric. And I, I just can't get enough of his, you know, work. I've never seen a bad Jim Apparel. Nope. No, no, not at all. And, and I, it's funny. I gasped a little bit when you said, I know he's not some people's favorite <laughs> artist. I, I'm not even joking. I gasped a little bit because I was like, how do you not love Jim Aparo? And again, you know, I know everybody <laughs> has their own taste and I don't want to disparage anybody's taste, but if you don't like Jim Aparo's Batman, then you don't like sunshine or puppies or kids or, you know, <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that one. And like you said too, about uh, Bob Haney, I, you know, he could write any kind of story. Cause I think I've read uh, war comics by him. Uh, I think I've read, uh, Oh, uh, uh, three musketeers. Maybe was that even a brave in the bowl? It could have been. Yeah. Yeah. At one point. Yeah. And you know, that's, but something like this, Batman, you know, Raven the Bold, he's written, you know, pretty much everything you could ask somebody to write every, uh, every genre, but they're always, like you said, at least fun. And sometimes they might leave you scratching your head at a couple of the, you know, lines <laughs> of dialogue or something, but they're, they're just crazy and fun. And you know that's how he, you know, got his nickname. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, when the first time I heard somebody call him Zany Haney, it, it, I was like, oh, the universe makes sense. <laughs> like I never put it together. I'm like that makes total sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the first time I heard him referred to as Zany Haney was uh, the fire and water guys. Yeah. I think, I think they maybe had a, a show where they were actually like spotlighting certain books of his and they said about, you know, zany Haney episodes. And I was like, what? And that's how I was like really getting into him and thinking, Oh wow. Yeah. This guy was crazy. Like, this is great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, you mentioned your partner, Greg there, you guys record a lot of stuff. And I mean, you know, the, the never ending reading pile, that's a good one because you guys, you know, you, you know, you have a poll, poll up there and have people vote on stuff. And that's a really cool way of doing it. I like that a lot. Thank you. Yeah. That's a fun show. So, so we, Greg and I, he had been part of our secret wars and beyond show where we mm -hmm. cover every, every issue of every secret wars miniseries. And he was like, ah, I'm just, you know, kind of don't want to do an index show for the next show. He's like, I just want to be able to jump around. And I was like, all right, let's just, you know, there's no rules, right? There's no rules to this. Let's just do what we want. That's it's the mm -hmm. whole fun of it. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we would pick issues and we would move around and we'd just talk about books that we love and comics we love. And then at one point we were like, you know, let's let, 
let's let other people have a hand in this. And so we started doing polls for the last couple episodes. And that's been a ton of fun because one, it's more interactive, which is always really nice. And, you know, mm-hmm. especially it's, it, we appreciate, you know, anybody who listens. So it's really nice that people listen. And then two, you know, we, we make these big assumptions. We put these polls up and I'm like, oh, you know, like we have a poll up now where people are picking between a, a detective comics annual, a Nightwing annual, an X-Force annual, and an annual from The Ray. And I, mm-hmm. and I joked with him, I go, well, The Ray's not even going to get a single vote. Like I, that's the, actually the issue I would prefer to cover because I loved that book. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, The Ray's not going to get a single vote. I'm like, it's going to be detective, which is cool. I love Batman. And he's like, all right. He's like, let's see. And then he went on this whole Twitter campaign. And now I think The Ray is, I mean, the poll closes, I think, like tonight as we're recording. And it's like the raise in first place. So it's just it's just a lot of fun. And, and you know, it's just that reminder of you know, the whole point of this cool little comic book podcasting community that we have is to get to meet people, you know, like you and, you know, and, and Herman and and Greg and and to get to talk to other people who love comics and, you know, who grew up reading them about things. I mean, when in my life am I ever going to have a conversation about the Brave and the Bold 149. And now I get to talk to you about it for this whole episode. And I'm like beyond thrilled. I can't even tell you, you know? And so I just, I love it. I really, you know, especially right now coming off, you know, or we're still in it, but coming off the pandemic and, you know, just as crazy as things can be, it's just that reminder that like comic books never disappoint, man. You know, they just, you can read a bad issue. You can have a bad series. There's some creators who do some bad things, but as a medium, they're just delightful and the people who read them are delightful. And like, this is just, you know, this is the, this awesome addition to this hobby where it's like, not only do I get to read and love these issues, but I get to talk to someone like you who's amazing. And I'm like, oh my God, I love his stuff. I feel like I've, you know, I listen to you so often that I feel like I've had a million conversations with you. And so it's, <laughs> it's a blast to get to talk. So I, I just think it's really cool. And, and I like that um, our community in particular is so positive and so welcoming. You know, I just, I don't think I've ever met a bad person in our little comic book community. So it's great. Yeah, no, it's to me, it's one of the best communities and very inclusive, very, yeah. everybody just wants to, you know, help everybody out and with the likes and the retweets and uh-huh. the helping, helping people out. It's just, I've never had, I've never been around any other kind of, you know, group of people into any hobby that was anywhere close to, you know, comic book fans. Never. Yeah, me too. It's great. Yeah. And I got to mention too, before I forget, uh, you and Greg, your squadron Supreme coverage, that was so good. Excellent. Excellent. Excellent coverage there. Thank you so much. And that was, so that's, that was a ton of fun. And it reminds me of your all-star squadron show with Herman because Greg had read squadron Supreme since it came out. He bought it off the racks. It's his favorite series. He's, I think he literally said he read it every year. So he's read it like 30 plus times and I had not read it. I had bought sporadic issues here and there over the years because it was by Grunewald and it was, I knew it was a famous story, but I convinced myself, well, until I have the entire mini, I'm not going to read it. But I never went back in my long box and looked at what I owned. So it wasn't until Greg brought it up, like, hey, I'd love to do a show on this. And I go, I don't know if I own the whole thing. And I went and looked, and I was like, oh, actually I do. <laughs> I didn't even realize <laughs> it. I just had never read it. So we did a, it's the first time I've ever done this for a recording. We did this experiment for that show where, you know, he would lead the episodes and I would read the comic for the first time right before we recorded so I was coming in fresh. He had 35 years or whatever, you know, 30 years of, of experience and love. And it was a blast. And, and so I, I love that you and Herman have mm-hmm. a very similar format for the All-Star Squadron show, which is amazing. And I, that, you know, you're coming into those issues somewhat fresh. And I think it's so cool because I love that book. And I love getting to hear you guys talk about it and and talk about those characters from those sort of varying viewpoints. So it's it's very cool. And I hope you guys are 
I mean, I really hope you do a full run of that show because that's one of my favorite series and I'm enjoying rereading it along with you. So awesome job. Yeah, that's the plan. You know, you never know. But yeah, that's the plan that we're going to go fire through every issue and every annual and not sure after that what we're going to lean on. But, you know, they figure, figure there were some tangential things to the um, Infinity Incorporated. And oh, yeah. Five issue miniseries that came out before All Star Squadron of Steel that kind of, you know, ties in a little bit here and there. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to look down some other avenues as well. But, yeah, that's the plan. We're going to go through the whole series because he really loves it. And, you know, it's been a favorite of his since he's a kid. So I uh, really enjoy it as well. So, yep, I don't think there's going to be any uh, any break in that one. So we're definitely going to try to try to do uh, do the title justice. So thanks for tuning in. I appreciate all the support with that one. No, it's awesome. And if I can make a recommendation, the first year of Young All-Stars is really good. Now, after the first year, <laughs> you guys might want to maybe do one summary episode. <laughs> But the first year of that book is really good. So I'll just I'll just throw that in. <laughs> I think that's I've never read an issue of that series, but I think that's kind of how Herman feels about it, too. It started yeah. off. I think he said that to me, too. It started off really well, but then it kind of went downhill fast. But he's like, it was pretty good early on. So, yeah, maybe we'll have to do that one, too. I'll definitely uh, put that one in the memory banks here to, to recall and <laughs> take a look at. But I don't think was that ever collected? I'm I don't know. Sure. I bought it off the racks because um, yeah. I was a huge All-Star Squadron fan. And so I have the whole series, but I, I don't know if it's been collected. If it has, I could, I would imagine it's only been maybe the first six issues. Cause that's a pretty, that's the, definitely the best story arc in that book is, is the coming together of that team. And yeah. Brian Murray is the artist and he's, his art is amazing. He would go on to work for like extreme studios, but mm. his work is amazing in that book. And when, and when he leaves after the first year, there's a clear drop in the quality of that comic, but yeah. I, I don't know if it's been collected or if it has, it's probably out of print. Yeah, probably. I'll have to dig deep and find my uh, underground resources to <laughs> try to get a copy <laughs> of a trade of that one. Because I did actually look uh, on eBay at some of the singles, and they are up really? there in price. Oh, yeah, I couldn't that believe it. I'm like, astounding. man. Yeah, I was like, what's going on here? Why are that these so much? That is astounding. You could line a birdcage with issues of young all-stars back in the eighties or nineties. I mean, it's like, it's basically like an issue of John Byrne alpha flight. Like you go to any discount bin in the world and you're going to find, you know, the young all-stars, you're going to find Burns alpha flight. You're gonna, I mean, just, yeah, that's funny. That's really funny. I had no idea that those issues were, were pricey. Now you just, God, that mark, the market's so weird. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. You know, you never know from one week to the next, if there's going to be a Netflix series or a movie exactly. or this or that about something. It's like, well, there go the prices on everything there. It's just, it drives the market through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Hey, so how about let's get to what we're talking about today. The brave and the bold One Forty Nine um, from 1979. Uh, this is a good one. It's a, uh, you know, like we said, uh, Bob Zaney Haney and Jim Aparo here. And then uh, what, uh, what do you think of the cover on this one? This is a good one where it's the cover and it's, you know, starring Batman and the Teen Titans. And we have some, uh, <laughs> some shenanigans on the cover right away. <laughs> it's, it's an iconic cover. I love this cover. And, and it's because Robin is sitting cross-legged in a windowsill, <laughs> which is completely impractical. I mean, it is, it is 100% an affectation on his part just to convey attitude of like, Batman, you know, and the, the, and Speedy's right below him and he shot a bolo arrow at Batman and then front and center wonder girls got Batman in a full Nelson and kid flash is punching him a hundred times in the face. And it's so great because Dick is saying, you know, that's it. Titans clobber Batman. After all, he asked for it. And it's one of those great bronze age covers. I mean, even kind of silver agey 
where mm-hmm. you know what's on the cover isn't really what's happening in the book. There's some version of it, but it's mm-hmm. a, you know a shock and and surprise of like, oh my gosh, can this be real? And it's <laughs> awesome. And I love to. I'm a sucker for unusual colors on a cover. So the mm-hmm. yellow, the dominant yellow in the kind of upper left portion of the comic, really, I love it. It's it's a it's a big win for me. So I think this is such a fun cover. I've seen an homage of it on a couple later Titans issues. Mm. And I think it's great. So what about you? Was this one that jumped out at you? Oh, yeah. Like I have this in the uh, Jim Apparel Volume 2 hardcover. And when you like just even quickly skim through and look at all the covers, this is one that I look at and it makes me chuckle. And I think, oh, this is great. I know you're going to get, you know, you're going to be entertained by this comic just by looking at it. And like you said, Robin, (laughs) him sitting there in that position with his (laughs) hand out pointing. And what he says is just hilarious. That's this is my kind of (laughs) comic. It is. It's awesome. I mean, it really is fantastic. And and the thing that's funny is the even the logos are great because the Teen mm-hmm. Titans logo is the logo from their previous series that had ended a couple years earlier. So this book comes out in 1979, mm-hmm. and they had tried relaunching that Teen Titans book. They just picked up the numbering, you know. And Bob Rosakis, I think, wrote a bunch of issues of it, and I think uh, Haney wrote some issues of it too. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't a huge success. It's it's most fondly remembered for introducing Mal and Karen, who would become Guardian and Butterfly or uh, Bumblebee. But it's not a you know necessarily wasn't a beloved or super successful series. And so that book had ended, but the the Wolfman Perez new Teen Titans relaunch was still about a year away at least. And so this was this funny interim period for them. And it mm-hmm. even says on the cover, at last the fabulous foursome is back together again. And I thought that was really cool. I was like, oh, man, this is a great, you know, as a kid, if I had seen this, I would have bought this because it's like, oh, the Teen Titans are back. This is amazing. What have they been up to and what brought them back together? And I definitely would not have seen coming (laughs) the story that Haney puts together (laughs) to have them come back together. Yeah, what what can get them back together? Bat shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the name of the story is Look Homeward Runaway. Um, and the gist of the story is that Batman needs help. He needs the help of uh, the old school Teen Titans because he's trying to stop a group of criminals called the Runaways. Uh, and he needs some age-appropriate partners to infiltrate the gang. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's again, not a super deep uh, plot and story here, but a heck of a lot of fun. And that splash page, that is hilarious. Like, I love a Batman on a phone. Um, <laughs> kids, kids these days, I'm sure, are like, what kind of phone is that with a cord oh, exactly. coming out of it? <laughs> it's amazing. It is, it is such a good splash page, though, to get you caught up immediately. Because Robin's like, you know, Batman's like, I need the help of the Teen Titans. And Robin's like, well, we've broken up, but we can come back together for you. And, you know, we're there all. And, you know, Wonder Girl's like, we're there if we need you need us. And Kid Flash is like, I can be there before this phone call's over. So in one <laughs> page, knowing that this was going to be picked up off the spinner racks, Aparo and Zany Haney have communicated to us the current status of these characters, basically a couple of their roles and one of their power sets. So it's like comic book 101 right every comic book is somebody's mm-hmm. first comic book and so it's fantastic i love it and then i love the little joke that they're going to make about you know the the runaways he's like oh there's this group of criminals <laughs> called the runaways and speedy's like huh is that a rock group gone bad and i was like oh man that's great like that's a great little reference to that group like that's that's more hip than i expected from haney yeah and it's funny too because they broke up around this time when this exactly <laughs> comic came out which i was because i thought to myself man that was a really short window for that band and i thought I, I knew it was a short window and then they broke up and they all kind of went and did their own thing. But 
when did they actually break up? And it said about, I think their last concert, it was New Year's Eve, you know, the previous year. And then they quote unquote officially broke up like sometime in like March or April, the springtime of 1979. And I thought, I wonder if this was Haney trying to, you know, please don't break up, stay together, run away. (laughs) (laughs) I think about that. Or I think about maybe Haney had like a teenage kid. And he's, you know, writing his book and they're like, you're talking about the oh, runaways. Sure. You're talking about Joan Jett and Lita Ford. <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> and then he just threw a little reference and it was great. Yeah. You know, the, the story was cool, but it starts out, you know, Batman saying to the Titans, like, hey, you know, I need your help. There's these teenagers and they're all runaways and they're in some kind of gang. And, you know, he says about how he kind of got on their trail. But obviously the big, scary Batman can't dress up as a teenager, you know, and uh, he's not going to match his Malone. Isn't going to help him yeah, infiltrate, exactly. you know, these teenage uh, gang here and he needs to find out what's going on. But, you know, it, it was like I said, it's a little crazy, but I, I love it. You know, then we they what do they say? Basically, they have uh, Donna and uh, is it uh, and Roy? Wally. Oh, and Wally. Yeah, they're going to be the two that uh, infiltrate the gang. And uh, they <laughs> purse snatch <laughs> some old lady. They snatch her purse. <laughs> it's, it's not even just some old lady. It's Aunt May. Like, yeah, it really I, is. <laughs> it is. It is Aunt May. And I get that Jim Aparo draws old people a very specific way. And, and you know, those who blasphemy and, and complain about Aparo maybe sometimes say that he has similar faces. Which, But still, there is, I mean, this is fully Aunt May. And it is so great because Wally and, and Don are, like, dressed as street toughs. You know, and, and the logic behind it is so it's tr- it's good, but it's ridiculous because Robin's like first he takes a punch card out of the back computer, which is an amazing visual. <laughs> and he says to Batman and he says to the team, well, Wally and Donna, you guys have powers. You don't depend on a bow and arrow like Speedy or like a utility belt like me. So you are who you are. So you guys go undercover. And it's like, Robin, <laughs> you're the, one of the greatest fighters on the planet. Like, you mm-hmm. could, you know, like really. And also you should be going undercover. But I do love. You know, that they they grab this old lady's purse and Wally socks her. Yeah. I mean, he he, he <laughs> knocks her out like he's an amazing Spider-Man writer from the 70s. You know, like like he that's just how all of them treated Aunt May, right? Just boom, knocks it's, her down. It's a Sal Buscema punch. <laughs> it is. It totally is. I mean, it is an unbelievable punch. And luckily, Donna whispers to him because I was wondering, Donna whispers to him. Like, I hope you didn't slap that police woman too hard. And he's like, no way. Don't worry about it. We're, we're out of here. You know, let's get see if the runaways fell for this. So this is a, a police woman in disguise, but it's Aunt May. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's so great. He totally just, just decks Aunt May. And it is, I mean, I don't, it's, it's amazing. It's just one of the many wonders of this comic. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to, you know, prove to these this gang of street toughs, the runaways, that they're tough too. So, you know, then they kind of meet up with them and uh, say they want to be part of the gang. They're new in town. They're the new kids in town, and they want to be part of the gang. So, you know, they get taken to the uh, uh, lair or hideout of the runaways. And how about that crazy part? I couldn't believe it when I first read this story about how they're like, you know, we're going to talk to the big boss about you. And the big boss says, these two look nice, misunderstood teenagers. They need the man's love and protection. So my orders are, kill them. I mean, it is so wonderful. It's so, it's Haney 101, right? Like, yeah. you think I'm going to go right? You think I'm going to go right? I go left. You know, like, it just, like, yeah, that part shocked me. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And then, you know, the the runaways, they have guns, and they point them right at uh, Donna and Wally, and pow, 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 pow. And then they start laughing because uh, they're blanks. <laughs> but I was like, what in the world? 
I couldn't well, believe that. And the great part is they're, you know, they point their guns at them and, and Donna's like, well, they, we're going to have to use our powers to get out of this. It'll blow our covers. Mm-hmm. And Donna goes, mm-hmm. and Wally goes, no, Donna, stand fast and die bravely. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Like, you're not going to, you're going to die so you can protect your cover. And then again, Haney does a great job of explaining that Wally at super speed ran to check, take the bullets out of their guns before they could fire, <laughs> so realized they were blanks, put them back. And then got back into position. I mean, it is, it is the, the word you used the word shenanigans earlier, and it is mm-hmm. the only word that's appropriate. And then after that moment, we get what I think is the most important moment in the issue. We get a close up shot of Donna's t shirt, which says, Hands off, I'm mine, which I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm not even joking with you that I went right on to like T Public to see if anybody had made this t shirt because I, <laughs> I wanted to own it. I have no idea what Aparo was thinking. I, I have no idea why. I mean, he must have seen some young woman wearing something like, I mean, I just, the idea of these two middle-aged corny men <laughs> trying to appropriate teen culture uh-huh. is my favorite thing ever. And the hands off, I'm mine t-shirt. The reason, I mean, I don't know if you noticed it when you read it, because it shows up. Every time she's there, the words are are perfectly visible. So clearly this meant something to Aparo. And remember, yeah. he he not only pencils and inks his own issues, he letters them. So mm-hmm. this is definitely Aparo. What yeah. was your reaction? Am I the only one who was blown away by her fashion? <laughs> yeah, I just thought to myself, what is that supposed to mean? Is that some kind of a pop culture thing that I don't know about? You know, because I, I was just a, you know, a little kid when this was made or something like that. I just like what? But I didn't even have the foresight to try and look it up or anything like that. I I figured it was Haney and Aparo doing something wild. I wondered if it was like a Gloria Steinem quote or something. I mean, there must have been something in the air, right? There must have been some sort of zeitgeist where they were painting her as a, you know, second wave feminist or something. But I just loved it. I thought it was hilarious, especially because Wally looks like James Dean, you know, from uh, uh, Rebel Without a Cause. I mean, he's got the Mm -hmm. the white t-shirt and jeans. It's just such a funny... Little touch that I really loved, but you know, Aparo, God, he doesn't get enough credit because Wally and Donna get indoctrinated into the gang, and their first, mm-hmm. you know, step is they have to pickpocket at this, you know, uh, train station, and Aparo draws Donna picking this guy's pocket, chucking it into a trash can, and then Wally grabs it from the trash can and runs, and it is so clear the scam they're running you don't even need words like it's so yeah. well drawn like what what how did you react to this little theft well the first thing i thought is was wally in the trash yeah. can like <laughs> That's what? what i thought too <laughs> i was like is he agent 99 from get smart or what is like the one that always i don't remember which agent it was but the one that always hid in the trees and the trash can <laughs> Yeah, the next thing you know, they're gonna have a phone in their shoe. I guess exactly, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I think he is in the trash can. Though. I was like, Wally, that's yeah. really committing to the bit, man. <laughs> I was like, dude, oh, dude, that's so gross. <laughs> like, it is nasty. Even, even if you cleaned it out first, that's still really gross. <laughs> but yeah, too funny. But yeah, you're right on point. The artwork apparel is just—it's out of this world. It's great. Like I said, I—I've never seen a bad apparel story. Obviously, some are stronger than others, but. Every time I see one of his stories, you like you said, you could literally not have dialogue uh-huh. and you would know exactly what's going on and it would be great. You you would love it. He would exactly be able to relay what the writer wanted, you know, the readers to know. So I, I do have a question for you. Commissioner Gordon only makes a couple of appearances in this book, mm-hmm. but he is he is crabby in those appearances. Like yes. at one point 
you know, the, the cops arrest Donna because they, they think she pickpocketed this guy, even though they have no evidence because Wally took the wallet. And they arrest her and they take her to jail. And mm-hmm. Robin's like, hey, Commissioner Gordon's on the phone. Let her out. This is all part of a sting operation. And Commissioner Gordon says, yes, yes, <laughs> Batman's playing vigilante again. And I was like, whoa, okay. Are they not getting along at this point? But then he totally goes off on the cop and he's like, besides, you couldn't hold her anyway. You didn't have any evidence, you boob. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> not happy like somebody replaced his pipe with you know i don't know what's going on but what were your thoughts on his role <laughs> well i'm thinking to myself the way a paro draws him he looks like he's 10 years past retirement so oh, he's yeah. really cranky he's like i should have retired i knew it <laughs> yeah yeah he is i mean he's literally the danny glover i'm much too old for this bleep you know like it's, it's so <laughs> yeah. great but i was really caught off guard but i was like why is he so he's really grumpy. Like he's mad at Batman for being a vigilante and he's mad at this officer for arresting a girl who clearly committed a crime. Like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, sorry, commissioner. Yeah. And then it's funny right after that part too, we see the, the, not the head guy that runs the whole gang, but like his, uh, number one tiger Turk. And he's following Wally and Donna around and Robin sees this and Batman, you know, swoops in to try to, uh, get him off of their scent. And how does that go? <laughs> That is so that's where the cover it's so great because that's where the cover comes from, because this mm-hmm. guy suspects that Wally and Donna may be up to something and they're like, oh, you know, he's going to realize they're going to have to blow their cover. And so Batman's really smart. He jumps in and he lets Donna again, grab his arms behind his back and he lets Wally just deck him. And there and Tiger Turk is like, these two are crazy, man. They're taking out the Batman. And, and you have to think about this moment. You're like, he's a Justice League of America member. <laughs> he is. He has fought planet killing monsters. He has fought the Joker. He has fought everything. But this teenage boy and girl totally get the jump on him and knock him out to the point where they're able to get away. But apparently it's very convincing because Turk is like, yep, they're in that, you know, they're they're definitely who they say they are. Mm. But it's really funny. And I love that Batman takes a moment to go, woof. I guess, you know, Wally and Donna picked up what I was doing, but man, they made it feel real. <laughs> <laughs> I think Wally maybe took advantage. I think Wally's like, hey, you know, all those times you were a total pedantic jerk to me when we mm-hmm. run the Titans. I'm going to take a couple extra shots. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And again, the the Haney dialogue. If this would have been written by anybody else, you wouldn't get this gold. Uh, yeah. Donna grabs Batman and Wally punches him. And Wally says, when we get done, you'll wish you'd committed Harry Carey. <laughs> and, Don- and Donna says, yeah, you big male chauvinist clown. <laughs> Which, by the way, if I were Batman, I would be like, hey, hey. Like, it's, it's one thing to beat me up. But, like, I didn't do anything sexist. <laughs> like, yeah, what are you t- talking about? Yeah, and then, like you said, uh, uh, Tiger Turk is watching. And them two are okay. Imagine it. They gave the great bat slob a going over. <laughs> yeah, wow, Haney, man. He was the best. I love it. And then, and this is for me. It all starts ramping up from here with the Haneyisms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, this, and I'm sure you know exactly where I'm going, because right after this, they all duck back to the Bat Cave, and it says, <laughs> and this is my not only my favorite panel in the issue, but maybe one of my favorite panels <laughs> of all time. Wonder Girl walks up to the Bat Computer, and it's in in the. <laughs> it says now. The masked manhunter calls on one of Wonder Girl's most unusual powers. And he Batman says to her, now as you imitate perfectly the voice in the penthouse, Donna, I'll check it against thousands of known voices in the Bat <laughs> computer. And she, the word bubble gets altered and she says the thing that the guy said. Wait, when the heck, 
did Donna Troy get super vocal impression powers? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm going to run to the DC wiki here to see if that's listed as one of her powers. But and then again, that's crazy. And then here comes another Haney swerve. She speaks into the computer and the computer spits out that it's the voice of Commissioner Gordon. And it's like, what? So Commissioner Gordon is the head bad guy. And then Batman blazes. I thought it sounded familiar. Of course, Gordon's not the man. We underestimated that creep. And then what does Batman say? This is the best dialogue ever. <laughs> he, it, it, uh, no, go ahead. He obviously has tapes of Gordon's public speeches, <laughs> and he's using a computer, simply combining the right word and sounds to create his own messages in the commissioner's voice. What? That technology did not was not around in 1979. Well, not only that, <laughs> what, there weren't even really VCRs back then. There weren't. I mean, was he holding one of those old school tape recorders with a connected microphone, like up to it? I mean, it is. And also, this is so unnecessary. It is so unnecessarily complicated. <laughs> Literally nothing in the story changes because of this, that there, this wrinkle. Him, one, Donna's super ventriloquism is ridiculous. <laughs> Two, the fact that she says the thing in a perfect imitation and Batman doesn't go, hey, that's Jim Gordon's voice, a, a man he has known and worked with for years. It mm -hmm. takes the computer to tell him, already ridiculous. And then, yeah, jumping to that conclusion. And then the weird part is, and I don't know if this this confused me for a moment, because in the exact next panel, not even the next page, the next panel, the bat phone rings, and Batman goes, Commissioner? And Commissioner Gordon goes, were you expecting the president? This is our private line, remember? <laughs> I mean, again, super grumpy Gordon. But he wants to tell him that Eddie Blaine, one of the guys that works for the man, had escaped there's no I, I immediately thought, well, the only reason Haney would have put in the wrinkle that the man sounds like Jim Gordon is that this guy on the phone must not be Jim Gordon. This must be a, a prank or he must be setting Batman up. But that's not the case at all. And there's no I mean, am I missing something at any point? Does him sounding him using Jim Gordon's voice play into the story? Yeah, no, not at all. It's just, <laughs> it, it, again, and like I said, no other writer would no. write that. Or if they did, that would have played into something later exactly. in the story, but not with a Haney script, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it's like Chekhov's vocal cords or something. Like, you just, like, there's no point. There's literally no point to that whole page. And it may, I mean, I, I had to stop and think, well, maybe he was a page short and he needed to add something. Maybe, I'm like, I don't even know what Haney's thought process was, but... I love it. I mean, I look, if I were collecting this book today and I was, you know, thinking seriously about the craft of it, I probably would have been mad. But in retrospect, with awesome nostalgia goggles, it is I love that it's we're getting some zany Haney. In fact, it'd be like going to Disneyland and not seeing Mickey Mouse. Like we have to get some craziness, right? Like you just have to. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, man, after that, you know, we see Robin. He takes a little bit of a beating here. When I first read this, before I turned to the next page, I'm like, is this like street punk kicking the crap out of exactly. Robin? Somebody that was trained by Batman, but then he does get the drop on the guy and pretty much knock him out, blindfold him, and take him back to the Batcave. <laughs> it is so, I thought the same thing, and I was actually kind of upset because I'm like, ah, Robin is, you know, again, one of the great fighters yeah. of the DC Universe, and this normal street guy has really given him a beatdown, and then he, you know, like you said, he turns the tables, but but it's such a strange – so he kidnaps Turk, and he holds him, and then Wally and Donna go back to the gang, and they say, hey, we watched Turk go in to meet the man, and then we heard a gunshot. We're suspicious. And the man's like, no, you didn't. What are you talking about? And they're like, well, that's not true. Where's Turk? You can't produce him, right? And so they're trying to you know, 
you know, instilled dissent into the runaways. And finally, the man says, well, you know, fine, I'll come down and meet you guys. If you don't believe me, I'll show you myself. And it's all part of their ingenious plan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he hides like behind a curtain and he's like, I'm here, but I'm not going to show you my identity. And which is hilarious when we get to the very end here, because it's like, (laughs) I'm not going to show you my identity, identity, because why? And then, you know, after they figure out what's going on here and uh, Wally and Donna, basically, it's like they kind of get figured out or they get backed into a corner that they're going to get figured out. So they just start throwing punches on the gang members. And then Batman shows up and he's like, hey, you know who's behind the curtain here? And he's looking for whoever the man is. But so is the escaped, you know, thug from prison who the man was supposed to break out of prison, but never did. So he gets out and comes after with a gun. And then who's behind the curtain? It's this Batman. Yeah. It's Batman. What? I read this. And I'm like, what the heck? What? It's, it's so weird. I mean, it's a Wizard of Oz setup. There's literally pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. There's a whole Wizard of Oz screen. Wally goes running back to confront the man. And he's like, Batman? And the guy smacks him down mm-hmm. because he's deceived because it's not actually Batman. And you're like, mm-hmm. wait, 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 wait. I don't understand. Like, the guy uses Commissioner Gordon's Gord's voice. He dresses up as Batman. Why? <laughs> and there's no explanation. <laughs> there is literally the story. Is, Haney is completely unconcerned with any sort of explanation. There's no, and also like he has a full Batman costume replica. Mm-hmm. The guy is a slum lord. We come to find out he's the slum lord that like owns the buildings mm-hmm. and you know the ghettos where the kids live. But he's got an eight pack like Batman. I mean, he's apparently a slum lord with a gym membership because he looks exact- <laughs> he's ripped. <laughs> Like that, he's totally ripped. He's looking he exactly has a, like he has Batman. A Peloton. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And then the, the guy who escaped from the beginning. And if you're listening and you're like, hey, you guys never mentioned the guy who escaped the beginning. Right, exactly. Like it's a Haney story. And yeah. so he, you know, he's pointing a gun at him. Batman comes in, saves the day. And then we get this little button on the moment where he says, you know, the, the court is putting the runaways on probation. Um, the whole, you know, crime they were set up, but they've been wiped away. He goes, with patience and help, maybe these kids can wipe their own slates clean and start life anew. Thanks, Titans. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it ends pretty abruptly, you know. Yes. It's like, oh, wait, there's somebody behind the curtain and it's the man. What? The guy's Batman or dressed as Batman? And then you're literally within, you know, five panels. It's the guy's taking a bullet, a grazed bullet to the head and Batman knocks the guy out that's the shooter and Oh, it's a slumlord. Okay, end of show. It's like, what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> literally, they have Batman punch a guy. The guy shoots Batman. Both Batman are in the panel together. And then you get, sit, Ubu, sit, good dog. Like, it's a total, just like, <laughs> there's no concern for you as the reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, a, yeah, an absolutely ridiculous button on the issue. But it's wonderful. I mean, it's delightful. The only thing that's missing is Speedy got to do so little in this issue that I would yeah. have loved a word balloon in the last panel that said, like, man, I didn't get to do anything. I might as well go do drugs. Like, I just, you know, some, some, something. <laughs> some reference. Give Speedy something to do. I might as well go, you know, have an affair with a world-famous assassin. Like, something. I don't know. But he just he just is there. So yeah, it's just, it just to get all four of them. Even a thought bubble. Yeah, I wonder what Green Arrow is up to. You know, yeah, something. Exactly, exactly. I could have stayed in the Arrow cave. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. What do I do with these guys? I'm glad I got back together with the Titans for this. I do wow. wonder if they knew. I mean, this is really close upon the the relaunch, right, of the new Team Titans with Wolfman and Perez. Yeah. So I do wonder if this was some sort of setup for that. But in that case, 
either it would have made sense to leave Speedy out because he's not going to be part of the new Teen Titans. You know, the Wally, Donna, and Dick are going to be the core of that group. Or they just didn't know, or it was just more important than to say like, hey, the original team's reunited. So I I mean, either way, it's totally fine. Uh, You know, it's it's, Speedy just doesn't get a lot to do. But what a crazy comic. It's awesome. (laughs) It is, yeah, for sure. I just, like you said, this is one you could just, you can pick up and read this anytime. And you're going to laugh and you're going to have a good time, which to me, that's that's what comics are supposed to be for. But um, so what were your favorite moments in this? Like whether it's the art and we already talked about a couple of the, <laughs> the moments of dialogue. But how about art wise? What are your some of your favorite panels? I, again, Jim Aparo is is just unquestionably, you know, my definitive Batman artist. I love his work. I started collecting Batman in the early 80s and, and actually Tom Mandrake and um, Gene Colan were the artists mm-hmm. at the time. So, I mean, very moodist, uh, mood, moody, atmospheric. Doug Mensch was writing the book. Mm-hmm. And I loved Pre-Crisis Batman for all of its grandiosity and purple prose. And then Jim Starlin came on board as writer, and Aparo mm-hmm. joined him as penciler. And, and yeah. Aparo had been penciling Batman and the Answers. Actually, he pencils both. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, he just, you know, he imprinted on me. He's definitive. So, a couple of moments that really jump out at me as, as very Aparo-esque are when... Robin is fighting Turk and, you know, Turk gets a good punch on him, but Robin wraps his legs around Turk's legs and brings him down. Mm-hmm. And then we get a, the Aparo punch. I mean, I know Sal Buscema has the most famous punch in comics, but the Aparo punch where the fist connects and you see the like, buck, you see the like sound effect <laughs> around it. Yeah, I love that moment. And then I love that he experiments with panel layout a little bit. There's the mm-hmm. page where Batman is, the 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 Wally and Donna are accusing the man, mm-hmm. and the runaways are getting sort of stirred into dissent, and Batman sort of climbing his way into the the fight, and Aparo really cuts the panels into some very interesting angles. There's like triangles mm-hmm. and sideways, and and it works really well. I mean, one of the things I love most about Aparo is how clean an artist he is, how clean a sto- storyteller he is. I we oh, said yeah. it earlier, but it's true with Aparo comics, you don't even need dialogue half the time to tell what's happening. Yep. But I, he's not somebody I would call experimental. And so I kind of liked him getting experimental. I thought it was cool. Yeah, what that page you? Yeah, that page is really cool because sometimes when artists try to do that, you will have a difficult time following like where the dialogue goes and which, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the panel progression of how you get to the next thing. But you really don't on that one. And it's it's uh, hey, kudos to him, because like I said, it's it's a very interesting layout and it has all different shapes and size panels, but you do not have a problem following it at all. But um, for me, it's the page before that, um, right before the Robin and Turk fight starts, the very top panel there where it shows Batman in the Batmobile. Oh, like, yeah. That that to me is like that is when I think of a paro, it's a panel like that. It just looks so moody and atmospheric and just that is a bat. I mean, it's not really a, it's more of a Batman, you know, by himself kind of panel. Uh, that's something for one of those, like even if it was just an, an issue of detective or something, but oh, that's what I think of when I think of Paro right there. It's a gorgeous Batmobile too. Mm-hmm. I oh mean, yeah. And then, such yeah. a nice Batmobile. Yeah. And then even like you said, when he did uh, Donna with the crazy t-shirt there, when they, <laughs> when she grabs the, the wallet and chucks it in the trash can, that her, you know, that one panel there, like, oh, that looks great when she grabs that guy's wallet. It looks like, you know, perfect i don't know how you could do a better job there anybody could do a better job on that panel it's perfect yeah he's he's just a master i mean he's a master storyteller and it it really shocks me when people will say and it's i think it's because he came up at a certain point 
and people just consider anybody from that point to be older when people will say like, mm-hmm. oh, it's an older style, like like a Kurt Swan kind of thing. And I just am always shocked by that because I think there's real dynamism in Aparo's art. And one of the things, his acting is amazing. You know, his his panel progression is amazing. You, you're never confused about what's happening. And then one of the things I really love about him that I don't think he gets enough credit for is there's a real dynamism to his work. You know, he mm-hmm. he takes time on backgrounds. Like you, you are always sure where you are. There's context, you know, there's people moving. It's, it's, I don't, I just think they're, I think of him as a really a dynamic artist who, who just doesn't waste any space. And so I'm always surprised when people describe him as having an older style, but I think it's more of just that he is an older artist, but I, I don't know. I love it. I, I thought this was a great issue. Mm, yeah. He, to me, Aparo is a master there. There's, you know, the, the greats, you know, everybody has their own Mount Rushmore and stuff like that. But to me, he's he's right up there. He's right up there with anybody. He his artwork stands and can hold its own against anybody else. It's that good. And like you said, because there's there's really no weakness in his art. You know, some people can't do backgrounds or don't do yeah. them or, you know, can't do faces or can't do, you know, cars or whatever. But he, he could do anything. And he, re- you know, pretty much in one issue from one issue to the next, he did do everything in that one issue. You can see everything you can see, you know, all different kind of poses and fights and backgrounds are great. Everything in almost every issue. He was just great. Like for me, I think my favorite thing he ever did was the specter. I think that's my favorite. Yeah. Oh, so good. Oh my God. That's, that's an amazing run on that book. So you, you said, and not to, to derail us from the issue, but just maybe quickly, you said he's not, you know, he's on your Mount Rushmore. Just off the top of your head, like who would be your other three favorite Batman artists? Well, for me, if I had to choose Batman artists, Gene Colan's my favorite artist of all time. So I would have to put him on there. Again, I know a lot of people probably wouldn't, but I would have to because he's my favorite artist of all time. And again, more so for his Marvel work than mm-hmm. his DC work, but he's he's definitely on there and apparel. Um I would definitely also have to say Neil Adams. I think he's, you know, a, a one of the greats too. So I think you got to have him on there too. And then gosh, one of the classic guys would probably be my other choice. You know, like um, I'm trying to think from like the fifties and early sixties. Oh, yeah. Those, one of those guys would have to be in there too, because when I see like Batman from when I was a little kid in my head and like promotional stuff, that's the Batman I would see, you know, definitely for sure. That's interesting. I, I, so Yeah. Um, Adams definitely is, is amazing. Aparo's on my Mount Rushmore. I would have Bray Fogle, Norm Bray Fogle in there. He was, oh, yeah. Yeah, really important artist for me when I was collecting. Um, I love, and this guy's really, people are going to be a little surprised because he's kind of an underrated artist, but I loved Graham Nolan. He was mm. the penciler on Chuck Dixon's run yep. in the 90s. And for me, he was sort of a, an Aparo-like you know, like artist where everything is really well-drawn, really solid, um, yeah, I just, I loved his stuff, you know, completely. And then even though this guy isn't necessarily associated with, with Batman, uh, George Perez, anytime, mm. I mean, George Perez is my favorite artist ever. So anytime he drew anything, it was the best, but I love his version of Batman. And then for a modern spin, I would add, um, uh, uh sorry, I would add Greg Capullo, you know, he's, oh yeah, yeah, his Batman's amazing. So, I mean, we just, you know, we're lucky we've had a murderer's row of great creators on this series on on this character but nobody quite like haney <laughs> no no not at all i mean it's it, and again with batman being you know basically a cash cow for dc you you are always going to get you know top uh top talent on there one of them too i would write say too i 
I don't have a ton of his work, but what I've seen, uh, Dick Giordano too, loved oh, his work. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! Yeah, he was another one that was just an incredible artist. Yeah, yeah, he was amazing, and he's one of those few inkers where you can tell when he's inked something by mm-hmm. the quality of it, not because his inks are so heavy that you know it's obliterating the art, but it's just, I yeah, Giordano's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, like I said, some of the crazy stuff, and like sometimes you do these uh, writers too. Again, Haney being the top of the heap. These naming conventions: Tiger Turk, Fast Eddie, like <laughs> you know, these cra- crazy names for these characters. It just makes me laugh. And then, like I thought too, where in the world did that, you know, uh, Slumlord guy get a full Batman costume? Like I know, like you know, you think like in Marvel. I think for them, even in the Bronze Age, could have even been in the Silver Age. You kind of had these you know superheroes living in the real world and yeah. it was like oh spider-man's so you know such an icon in new york you could go to a costume shop in new york city and buy a spider-man costume but i don't know that i ever really saw that in dc where it's like you know oh in gotham you can buy a batman costume in a shop because batman's so popular with the kids these days but <laughs> he's, he's supposed to be an urban legend they should yeah. be selling bat costumes. <laughs> something where did this guy get this did he sew a batman costume himself <laughs> I mean, it really is. It, it's so funny because there's so much in this issue that is just unnecessary, but <laughs> I wouldn't change it. Uh, you no know, way. I just, you know, I, I, I think it's the charm of it is that it's mm-hmm. so weirdly it's the simplest story ever. There's a, mm-hmm. a guy. He's taking advantage of young kids who have nowhere else to go. He's helping them commit crimes. It's Oliver Twist. Right. Mm-hmm. And Batman needs to send somebody in undercover to to stop him like it, it's super it's this it's a very simple story and then haney's like but what if <laughs> hear me out <laughs> you know what if the guy had you know jim gordon's voice on tape and what if he dressed like batman and what if there was another guy who he promised he'd always take care of and he got into jail and then got out and and even that part of it the whole like fagin part of it where you know the, the man loves you the man <laughs> will take care of you we're a family even that's never explained. Like, like Haney just has no concern <laughs> for context. <laughs> he does not care about your feelings. He does not. He's just like, I'm here to tell a story. I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff in it. You figure it out. We're good. And, you know, and Jim will carry the day. So, again, I loved it. I thought it was I just think it's super charming. And it reminds me of my love for this series. And even though I know series like this. You know, I, I lament that series like this don't necessarily exist today, but I understand the market doesn't support them. I, you know, Marvel and DC have yeah. tried team up books again and again and again. And, you know, there's a reason they haven't been successful. So it's not the company's fault. You know, it's just there's not necessarily an appetite for it. But it does make me love books like this and Marvel team up all the more and Marvel mm-hmm. two and one, you know, just for the the joy of a done in one where you're, you know, main character in a universe gets to interact with another character from that universe. And it's just a, it's a great formula. You know, it's a formula that's, that's from a bygone era. It doesn't necessarily work today, but it just Mm -hmm. really is charming. And I I love it. I love Brave and the Bold. Yeah, me too, man. It's just, it's definitely my favorite uh, DC anthology book for sure. I love it. But yeah, I can only imagine being an editor at DC and Haney comes to work there and (laughs) and he hands in his first script and you're like, Bob, there's 10 plot points in here yeah. and you only wind up, you know, you know, sewing two of them up. What about the other eight? And he's like, yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I like to build mystery. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I roll. And they're like, OK. And he made a career out of it. <laughs> he did. Well, and even, you know, we we have buried the lead a little bit even. And I know most of our listeners, you know, the listeners are, are around our age or they, they kind of know this, but maybe some of them don't. You know, Haney created Wonder Girl. 
And, you know, it's, it's, you know, pretty universally known that the, the original Wonder Girl stories were the stories of Wonder Woman as a girl. She was not a separate person. She was not a no. separate character. Yeah. And so when Haney added her to the original Teen Titans, DC <laughs> was like, what did you do? Like, it would be like having Superboy, but as a different character than Superman. And mm-hmm. so that, you know, started all of the who is Donna Troy shenanigans that follow her to this day. I mean, she's <laughs> never escaped it. Mm-hmm. But in his defense... I love Donna Troy. She's one of my all-time favorite characters. So, you know, go Bob. Yep, absolutely. I will never uh, cast aspersions on Bob Haney. I don't care how many people say, yeah, but he's crazy. And yeah, but this doesn't ever make sense. And it's like, I'm, I'm kind of like him. I'm like, yeah, so was it fun reading the comic? Exactly. Well, well, yeah, but okay, then he did his job. We're good here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I got my money's worth. It was a good read. <laughs> yeah, really. Think about it. Like, what'd you pay for that comic? You know, oh, I paid 40 cents. Well, okay, you got your money's worth, right? Yeah. <laughs> did you did you get Jim Aparo art? Then yeah, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> did Ant May get punched? You're good. Ant <laughs> <laughs> May the undercover cop. <laughs> I mean, come on. That is a series that writes itself. We we need we need Ant May undercover cop. I just, you know, even if it's just a mini series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, definitely with Haney writing though. Um All right, here, we'll take a quick break here, and then we'll come back and wrap things up. So stay tuned. Okay, everybody, that's it for this episode of Magazines and Monsters. I want to thank Sean Ross for coming on. Um, He is part of the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast on the Pulp to Pixel Network. Um, You can find him at Sean42AZ on Twitter. Definitely check out uh, his work on there. Like uh, you know, we mentioned during the show, uh, the Squadron Supreme was really excellent coverage with him and his partner Greg. Um, you know, definitely check that out. They have some really good stuff, and then he's all over the place, uh, guesting on uh, all sorts of networks and stuff like that too. So definitely do that. But then the never-ending reading pile is another one too. They put up a poll on Twitter, and then let everybody vote on it, and then they podcast about it. So definitely check that out. So that's going to be it for this episode. Thanks, everybody. Catch you next time. Bye.
Hello. 